morning once again. We have been walking through the book of Mark, and we're going to continue that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. If uh, you don't have a Bible, then there should be a blue hardback Bible in one of the seat backs in front of you, and we're going to be on page 1012. So again, we're in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. And per our tradition here at East Shore, if you will stand as we read God's word, I'll be reading from the ESV version, starting in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Verse 30. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. You can be seated. Let me pray. Father, As we approach your word, we, we, we pray for a spirit of humility within each and every one of us to help us to hear your word, discern your words, and Lord, also to be able to hear how great of a shepherd you are, that as we scattered, Lord, you have come and stretched out your hand and brought us back. Help us, Lord, just to understand your faithfulness this morning. May we leave encouraged by your word and your faithfulness. May we just leave rejoicing because we know you, your steadfast love endures forever. Remind us of how you have just worked in each and every one of our lives through your word this morning. Thank you for being a faithful God. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are mere verses away from Jesus being taken into captivity. Jesus just finished the final Passover meal with his disciples and is now transitioning to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will, where he will be betrayed by his disciple Judas, be handed over to the chief priests, Pharisees, and scribes. And from there, from the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to be tried, he's going to be beaten, and he will in the end be crucified. But... Before we get to the crucifixion, we're given some insight into what has taken place between the upper room and Jesus' betrayal. We get the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And on their way to Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. That's, That's where we're at. We're in this little conversation on the way to the garden. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, and there's only 11 of them, Judas is gone, and says, You're all all going to deny me. You're all going to run away, abandon me. In order to fulfill the scriptures, the prophecy of verse 27 comes from Zechariah 13, 7. But Jesus hearing, or sorry, Peter hearing this does what Peter does best. He boldly says, that ain't happening. I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to fight. If you're going to die, I'm going to die. And then you have the band of 10 all standing up saying, yeah, 
That's right. We're all going with you, Lord. Nothing scares us. Bring it on, the enemy. And I mean, we laugh at this, but these men were serious. In fact, one of them is a zealot, and there's no problem for a zealot giving up his life for country. He'll do it. That's what the zealots do. We fight for country. But we're going to see just how many will fight for God. Is it God and country, or is it really just country in their minds? So we're going to see what happens to the men. Well, we do know that once again, Jesus didn't lie to them. And just a few verses from where we are in Mark 14, 49 through 52, I'll read it. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. This is Jesus talking to his soon-to-be captors. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all, this is the disciples, left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The once so bold disciples ran away. They were so scared, they didn't even care if they had clothes on or not. They just ran off because they were fearful, leaving Jesus all alone before his captors to endure the road to the cross all by himself. And this is a sobering story. It's not sobering because the disciples left. It's sobering because Jesus continued. He continued to the cross. If there's anything that this passage is teaching us here this morning, it is that our God is faithful. Our God, our Jesus is faithful. When we are faithless, when we fail, when we fall down, when we simply quit, Jesus is faithful. Deuteronomy 7.9 Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Uh, Louis Burkhoff he, he wrote a systematic theology at the beginning of the 20th century. The faithfulness of God is of the utmost practical significance to the people of God. It is the ground of their confidence, the ground of our confidence, the foundation of our hope, the cause of our rejoicing. It saves us from the despair to which our own unfaithfulness might easily lead gives us courage to carry out, to carry on in spite of our failures. It fills our hearts with joyful anticipations, even when we are deeply conscious of the fact that we have forfeited all of the blessings of God. Our God is faithful. What did, what did our faithful God promise back in the garden of Genesis with Adam and Eve? Eve and Adam fell into sin, and we instantly get what we call the Proto-Evangelion, proto the first mention of the gospel, Genesis 3.15. I'll read it. I, this is God, I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. I, God, I'm going to restore what you, Satan, have broken I will do it. 
He's going to reconcile humanity back to himself and destroy the works of the devil. Oh, we're all excited when we read this verse. But what just happens in Genesis just a few verses or chapters later? Well, we get Genesis 4. What happens in Genesis 4? Cain murders his brother Abel. And then right after that, we're given Cain's genealogy. And it's really not that great of a genealogy. Where we learn that it's filled with sin. There's murder. There's lies. There's immorality. Vengeance and envy. It's just plaguing the descendants of Cain. And we're sitting here. We, we, we hear this promise in Genesis 3.15. And then we get this history in Genesis 4. It's not looking very good for us. But then we're given chapter 5 of Genesis. And we see a remnant of belief going through the, Cain, the, the lineage of Seth. We see, once again, that God is being faithful, carrying on his promise. But, once again, we're given Genesis 6. Great promise of Genesis 3, discouraged by Genesis 4, once again encouraged by Genesis 5, and discouraged by Genesis 6, because we learn it's the whole world is corrupt. Their hearts and their thoughts are only evil continually. This is bleak. What is the Lord going to do? How is he going to remain true and faithful to his promise when there's so much evil? Literally everyone evil. God preserved someone. Who did he preserve? He preserved Noah. Noah, he was a man who believed God, righteous, sought God in his favor. Only one man in a world of thousands stayed committed to God. And that one man was more than enough for God to be faithful to his promise. We have the flood of Genesis. The whole world is destroyed through water except for Noah and his family. God preserves Noah. And once again, the story restarts and we're excited because we're like, God is staying true to his promises. He is faithful. Yes. But let's just skip forward. Let's skip forward to where we have the Israelites. And what happened to the Israelites? They become enslaved in Egypt. For It starts off, once again, great. Joseph is doing fantastic. But now they're enslaved by the, the Egyptians. 400 years takes, goes by. 400 years is a long time. It's a long time to sit there and begin to question if God is going to be faithful or not. We question it even only after a week has gone by if a promise hasn't gone fulfilled. 400 years? What is God going to do? These people are enslaved. How are they going to overcome the greatest nation to have ever existed at this time? God is faithful. He leads up this band of slaves to conquer the greatest nation the world has ever seen. If that doesn't speak faithfulness, I don't know what does. We would expect a, a great country with arms and weapons and might to overcome the Egyptians, but would we expect slaves? No, we wouldn't expect that at all. And even so, that the Egyptians were like giving them the things their own. It's like, here, take this and get out of here, please, just go. God is faithful. 
The Old Testament book of Zechariah, which is quoted in our text, reads, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It was written 500 years before Jesus was born. That means Jesus, knowing in advance, chose to step down from heaven to save us while also knowing that his disciples would deny him in his greatest trial. Jesus knew well before Zechariah that that was going to happen. He knew well before he took on flesh what all he would have to endure to accomplish his mission. He knew that he was going to have a short life of 33 years. He knew he was going to have to live in the flesh, being surrounded by people full and enslaved to their own sin. He knew he would have to exhaust his energy to heal the sick. He would have to be subjected to the religious leader's scrutiny. Every word he says is under their scrutiny, ready to take him down at every word. He knew he would be rejected by his own hometown, his own childhood friends, and his own blood brothers. He knew he would have to be tempted by sin and by Satan himself, betrayed by one of his own and abandoned by his disciples. He knew that he would be beaten, mocked, and crucified, and he knew that the people would cheer Barabbas rather than Jesus. He would have to endure, die and endure the justice of the Father to atone for the sins of the elect. And he knew that each one of us here in this room that we have, that we will, and that we do stumble and fall, and he still died. He knows all of us in this room, including me, are making, will make empty promises to the Father to only find out that we're not going to follow through with them in the end. He knows that we have desires for sin and that we're going to follow through on those desires for sin and once again, Put indulge the sin that put him on the cross, falling short of the glory of God. He knows our failures. He knows our pride, our envy, our boasting, our anger, our jealousy, our bitterness, our apathy, our lusts. Continue to fill it in. He knows all of that more about you than you know about yourself. And it's not because we are faithful nor deserving of grace, but because he is faithful, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Our God is faithful. Strike the shepherd, Zechariah reads. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But we don't have to fear because the good shepherd will remain faithful to the task given before him from the father. Ezekiel 11 Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. John 6, 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
The sheep will be scattered, but I will go find them. And I will raise them up on the last day. Not because they are faithful, but because I am faithful. We can take courage because we serve a God who is faithful. It, is, it was so certain that the disciples were going to deny Jesus. It is so certain he's going to rescue his sheep. He is going to rescue us who believe. And because he's faithful, we can be faithful. Because our God is faithful, we can be faithful. So not too many, uh, not, not too many sermons ago, I, I referenced a movie, and I actually didn't mean to reference the movie. But I heard so much from you guys that you like the reference. I'm going to reference it again. Uh, it was the mummy. I gave a mummy reference. And since this is my second time referencing it, it only makes sense to reference the second movie this go-round. So if you've seen The Mummy Returns, uh, if it's not, it's okay. Follow along with me. But it has Brendan Fraser, and I'm pretty sure it's the, one of The Rock's first uh, debut movies. Um, and so in, in the plot of the movie, one of the, one of the plots is to show the differing way couples love one another. You have the, the, cup, the difference of love between the protagonists, which is our hero Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise who they're married and they're in love with one another and committed to, the, to each other. And then you juxtapose them with the antagonist couple. And they love each other, but there's, no, there's nothing moral connecting them in the story here. And so essentially, okay, essentially the antagonists are these mummies that lived in Egypt. They're dead. They became mummies, thus the name mummies. The mummies return, okay? So what happens? So back, back in Egypt all those years ago, these two, this, this high Egyptian priest and this Egyptian woman, they loved each other. They loved each other so much they weren't allowed to be together, and they were willing to kill for each other. And so they did. And you know what? They ended up dying as a result. But that didn't matter to them because they knew some point in the future they were going to be reunited. Okay? Well, the future, that future is where the movie is set. Okay, the, the, once again, the Egyptian woman comes back to life. I don't remember how. And her whole point is to raise up her beloved. Okay, and then Brandon Fraser and Rachel Wise, they're trying to stop it. Well, it gets spoiled in the end. And in the end, they're in this, they're in this Egyptian temple. And just like all Hollywood, the, the walls are falling down on them. And they're like, oh, no, help. They're They're worried. And the two women have fallen into a cliff, and the two men are standing, and there's a distance, and they have to go and save their beloveds. And, but are they going to do it? Like, these things are falling, and all these that hoops they have to jump, they, they could die if they go and take care and save their beloved. What does Brendan Fraser do? He does what he's supposed to do. He risks his life. He dodges the ceiling falling down, and he brings his wife back up the cliff, and they escape together. Yes. And then the camera changes to the mummy. Is the mummy going to do the same thing that Brandon just did and go rescue his woman from the cliff? Well, all of a sudden, you, it pays attention to the wall falling and all these scary things. And what, is, what does he decide to do? He runs away. He runs his way. He saves his life. And then the camera goes right back to the woman, and she sees that. She sees she's betrayed. 
she gives up hope and she lets go. She wasn't able to remain faithful to holding on because her beloved wasn't faithful to her. If your God is not being faithful, we ourselves cannot be faithful. But because our God is faithful, we can be faithful. We can be faithful because God is doing everything to ensure that his promises are being fulfilled. He didn't hold back his son. He gave his all for us. And this is a very important thing because for us to be faithful, we must focus on the promise. You cannot be faithful if you do not focus on the promise. And what is the promise? It's the gospel. Look at our text. Let's look at the text. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, look how the disciples respond. First, here's what Jesus said to the disciples in verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Before Peter even responds, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and in the same breath, I am going to rise again. He is saying he's going to live. He's telling them that. But what does Peter hear? He doesn't even mention the fact of the resurrection. He's just focused on death. It's as if Peter heard it and totally ignored it. He just focused on his own denial. I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to fight for you. That's what he was focused on. He was focused on himself. He was given the gospel, but focused on himself. He focused on death when he should have focused on resurrection. When, when we have the perspective of the resurrection that Jesus really did live, die, and that we, if we believe in him, we will rise again. If we have that perspective, how do you think our life will change? How do, when we live out our life, your life will, your actions, your decisions will be utterly different if you, than if you believed you don't resurrect in the end. If you're focusing only on death and not resurrection, you're holding back and you will not be able to be faithful. Why is that? Why, focus, why if you focus on death, that's it, that you're going to fall, that you're going to continue to be faithless? Well, because death is just that. It's the end. Death, by definition, is the end. There's nothing more than death. It's frightening. But the gospel says death is not the end, but the beginning. When you have a discussion about evangelism in a class of people, and often a question will be like, okay, why don't we share the gospel? And you... You brainstorm between people, well, why don't we share the gospel this week? Or why didn't you share the gospel last week? Or what prevents you from doing that? The one answer that will somehow always come is some way tied to the fear of man. I am afraid of man, which is why I do not share my faith. Somehow you can trace any answer to the fear of man. Why? Why are we afraid of man? Because man impacts the physical. Man has the power to kill. Not only physically, but emotionally. Men, people, can hurt our physical, our economic, our social status, but that is all man can do. The fear of man stops at death. Man has no power over death or in the world to come. And in Christ, we are citizens not of this world, but of another. Therefore, we must remain focused on the resurrection. And when we do that, when our focus is resurrection, not death, we will find that the fear of man has no power over any of us. 
When we focus on resurrection, we can endure persecution because we know that the suffering is temporary. We can overcome our lusts by focusing on the resurrection. When that moment of temptation arises within us, we can look to the cross and see that it was our sin that put him there and that it was his love that overcame that sin and his love will overcome us. Our Savior is not dead, but alive and well and is, is present with us at every moment of the day, interceding on our behalf to the Father. By looking at resurrection, we know we don't have to seek any satisfaction in this life, any person or any object, because we know we are made for another world. We were made for resurrection, for a new heaven and a new earth. And I'll just add that a life faithful to, to the resurrection is a life that is a lot less stressful. When we try to save our life instead of losing it for Christ, what happens in those moments? We begin to preserve ourselves. We begin to concoct some scheme or to endure an identity or legacy that isn't in tarnish. We don't want, we don't want ourselves to be hurt. So we're going to preserve ourselves. We're going to protect ourselves. That's what Peter's doing here. That's exactly what he is doing here. He began to say that he would stand and fight because he's like, no, I'm a man. I'm not going to back down. I'm not denying you. I'm a fighter. He's preserving his own dignity, his own man self, his own pride. But he's a fool. He was fooling himself the whole time. And what happens in the end when he does this? We, we find out that he's coming out looking a lot worse than if he had just pleaded and focused on Christ and the resurrection. Lord, I know I'm a weak man. I need you to help me to stay faithful. Lord, please keep me faithful. And the Lord would have said yes. Peter, Peter says, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. No way. A few verses later, I've already read it. But the grown man couldn't even stand up to a servant girl. His denial of Christ is worse because of his scheme and preservation of self rather than if he had just sought the favor of the Lord. The, harder, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. It's, iron, it's ironic. And it's so much stress. Just give up. Give your life to Christ. Focus on the resurrection. And you know what? Jesus, or Peter, also trying to preserve his life, guess what happens when we do that? We will lose it. We will lose our life. If Jesus didn't step in, Peter and his disciples would have died. Okay? Before I get there, let me summarize once again. We can be faithful because our God is faithful. And to be faithful, we must focus on the resurrection and not death. Here's the key, which means faithfulness is a spiritual battle, not a physical war or fight, because it will lead to death if it's only physical. Look once again. He's, I'm, I've already read it. I'll read it one more time. Peter and the disciples re respond to Jesus, verse 31. But he said emphatically, so he's saying this very emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, all the other disciples said the same. There's emphatic. It's a heavy stress. 
He was ready to fight to the end. You hand Peter and the other disciples a sword, they would have charged to their doom. That is true. They would have fought to their doom. And in verse 47, one of the disciples pulled out a sword and cuts the ear off one of the, one of the, one of the servants of the chief priest. So they're, they're fighting, okay? But Jesus said, no, no. And Peter had, and the disciples had to back down. They wanted the fight, and the fight had come to them. But they would have died. How do we know? John 18, 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. The Greek word there for band is spira, and it's a military term used to designate a unit. And it's what we have in the U.S. Army today. Uh, a squad is a unit of 10 soldiers. A platoon is a unit of 36 soldiers. A company is a unit of 200 soldiers. This is all in U.S. Army terms. Well, a spirit, a spirit, a spira is a unit of five, four to 600 men. So it was 11 disciples versus 500 men to, that, that have come to capture Jesus. They didn't stand a chance. In fact, I, one of the things I love about that is in John, this is a little bit of a, of a side note, but in John where Jesus says to the men that have come, he's like, who, who, who are you here for? And Jesus, they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And we almost read that when he says, I am he, that he's only talking to like a few people. But no, he yells, I am he. And what do we then learn? All of the men fall backwards. It's not just 10 men falling down. It's all 500 of these men falling back before his proclamation of God. And so here these disciples are ready to fight and they would have died. And then Jesus wouldn't be going before anyone to Galilee. He would have just been going all by himself because all of his disciples would have been just totally dead. And here's the tragedy in all of this. If you're Peter, if you're the disciples and you're trying to preserve your life, you're preparing yourself for the physical, then you're going to miss the resurrection. What would have happened to Peter? He would have missed the resurrection. The physical fight leads to death. The spiritual battle leads to resurrection, to life. I, I have, I'm going to read this quote from Matt Smethurst. It's not on the slides. He's a church planner in Richmond, Virginia. He was commenting on this verse, and he says, he said, on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter was willing to kill for Christ, but not to die for him. But here's the lesson. There's a type of counterfeit faithfulness that's willing to kill for Jesus, but not willing to die for Jesus. It's that, once again, I'm God and country. When you say that, the person is just country. There is no God. You cannot be both. What type of faithfulness do you have? Do you have one that will kill for Christ and thus lead to death? Or one that will die for Christ, which leads to resurrection? Another question we can ask is, which type of faithfulness are you strengthening? We have to work this out. How are we training ourselves to be faithful? Are we training for the spiritual or the physical battle? Well, let's use once again Peter in this text to help us to discern what we are preparing for. The next section is Peter, James, and John accompanying Jesus into the garden. 
It's here where Jesus' sweat is, where Jesus's sweat is like drops of blood, we read. I believe that's in Luke's gospel. And Jesus is praying the whole time because he knows what's about to come. And then he checks in on the disciples, Peter, James, and John, to see what they're doing. What does he find them doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Mark 14, 37 through 38. Let me read it. And he came, Jesus came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a spiritual war. You want to know which war, which fight you're preparing for? Ask yourself the question, can you watch and pray for one hour? Have you ever prayed for one hour? It sounds easy, but it's not easy. Train your body. Get into physical shape. Learn how to defend and protect yourself. That's good for us to do, but you cannot do that at the expense of your spiritual life. Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. We train. We make it our goal, our aim, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What are you training for? Where are you training to be faithful? For the spiritual or for the physical? Let me tell you about the story of the second century martyr Polycarp. Uh, You might have heard the story of Polycarp before. Polycarp, he was a disciple of John, who wrote uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation. Uh, One of his disciples is Polycarp. And Polycarp, we don't know when he was born, but he he died in uh, approximately 120, uh, 120 A.D., He wrote a couple of short letters to the churches, and you can read those letters of Polycarp today. Just Google the letters of Polycarp, and you'll read them. And it was, he wrote wrote letters to modern-day Turkey. And his following essentially was getting so large, uh, all of his disciples coming to listen to Polycarp and his teachings on Jesus in the scriptures, and they're just gathering. And the government at the time, the proconsul is what they're called, they're, they're seeing this, and they're calling Polycarp an atheist reason why he's an atheist is because Polycarp didn't accept the Roman and Greek gods. So he's an atheist. And you know what? We don't want atheists leading our people astray. So they began to hunt and go and catch Polycarp. And eventually, they couldn't find him. And so they started catching his followers. And they were killing Polycarp's followers. Polycarp, he, he learned of this and he said, send them to me. Tell the captors where I'm at. I'm ready. And so they, fin- they, they, they tell the proconsul where Polycarp is, and Polycarp, or the proconsul sends out the people to go get him. And they run, they come to Polycarp's door, and Polycarp answers the door and says, Hello, man, you're here to take me in. And they said, Yes, we're taking you in now. And he says, Give me one hour. What do you need one hour for? I'm going to pray. 
And while I pray for this hour, we will feed you, we will give you drink, we will warm you, we will take full care of you, and then I will come with you gladly. The soldiers were like, okay, you got one hour. Polycarp prayed. He prayed out loud the whole time. And the, the men actually began to fight amongst themselves. But in the end, Polycarp says, do what you're going to do. F take me to the proconsul. So they do. They take him. And Polycarp comes before the proconsul. And he, right near him is a stadium. And what's in the stadium? They hand, them, they hand people there and throw to the lions to die. It's like a gladiator. And the proconsul says, you need to repent of Jesus and Polycarp responds saying, <laughs> I can't. He's been taking care of me so long. He's never done me any harm. I dare not reject my Christ. And the proconsul says, you better or you're going to the lions. Polycarp just responds, bring them. Bring them. Let me in. Let me loose with them. And the proconsul didn't like that answer. He thought Polycarp was being snarky. And he says, oh, yeah? You think the lions are bad? You're trying to make fun of me for doing this? Well, then I'm going to make sure your death is a torture. You're going to be now burned alive. And Polycarp says, that's okay, because this temporary fire is nothing to the eternal fire that's going to be waiting for the unjust and the wrath of a holy God. Bring me to the fire. And they escort him. He, in anger, get Polycarp to the stake. Bound him up, and Polycarp says, there's no need to bind, bind me. No change, rope is needed, because I'm not going anywhere. So they light the fire, and he, he gets burned alive. And while he's burned, you can read the prayer. It's on the back of your sermon notes. He prayed. Lord, thank you that you've counted me worthy to be a martyr. Where did he get such a spiritual strength to endure? He prayed. He's been preparing for the spiritual battle, for the resurrection. He didn't care about this flesh. He didn't care about the physical because he was waiting for the new, the new heaven, the new earth, the redemption, the promise of our glorified bodies because he knows that his God is faithful, that our God is faithful, and we can be faithful too. Polycarp was faithful to the very end. Read the story of him. You'll even learn that his blood began to spew and put out the fire, and everyone was beginning to be amazed at what was taking place. Here's the lesson from this chapter this morning. It is that God is faithful, even when we're not. And because God is faithful, because he is not leaving us to die in our own sin, but has sent his son to rescue us from our sin, we can be faithful. And because when Jesus died to sin, he resurrected and overcome the grave, we know that this is not a physical, this is not all there is, but this is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war, that our enemies are not just some extreme Democrats, they're not some extreme Republicans, they're not some government or any political structure anywhere in the world. They're not our bullies that we know of, the people we don't like. Those, none of them are our enemies, but it's our sin. It's Satan, demons, principalities of the air. So we will prepare. We will prepare ourselves for the spiritual fight. Be faithful. Be found faithful.
because your God is faithful. So we can be encouraged. I'm going to pray. Father, Lord, you're faithful. Lord, you see and you search the, the depths of our heart where we don't even know the depths of our heart. You search us in and out and you see the sin and just how we are deceiving ourselves. And still, Lord, you faithfully guide us. You faithfully rescue us. We were enemies of you, Lord, and you faithfully saved us. Lord, we are blind and we focus on ourselves so much, and yet, Lord, you lead us, you care for us, you sent your son to die for us. Lord, you are faithful. So, Father, our prayer is that you help us to focus on the resurrection. Help us to focus on your gospel. Help us to be faithful. And, Lord, we need your strength to prepare us, Lord, for the spiritual battle strengthen us, renew our souls, revive our strength for your glory. Amen.